0: This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball! Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card for this week,
1: number 768, Dickie Knowles, pitcher for the Chicago Cubs, or the Detroit Tigers, or question mark.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Dickie Knowles, 768, looking and, and a mystery already in the 1988 Tops podcast. Which team is he actually playing for? But we'll get back to that in a second. David, it looks like we have some follow-up from previous episodes we need to clear off the docket.
1: Matt, in the Jody Reed episode, we were talking about Jody's Case for the Rookie of the Year in 1988. Jody lost the 1988 Rookie of the Year voting to Walt Weiss. His team also lost in the ALCS to Walt Weiss and the Oakland A's. We suggested that that ALCS loss might have had an impact on Jody's chances for Rookie of the Year. And thank you to listener John L. on Twitter. He is at Rocketman1878 he pointed out that the votes are collected prior to the playoffs and then tabulated after the playoffs are over. Maybe the fact that Walt Weiss played for an A's team that won 104 games helped Walt's case, and Jody played for a slightly less dominant team with the Red Sox. That said, Jody was probably more valuable to his team, and he was really the catalyst for their 19 out of 20 game run that they went on over the summer so not to totally disrespect Walt Weiss he had a very good season was a really good defensive shortstop for that Oakland A's team and a a very good shortstop on a great team
0: got it well thank you thank you John L for pointing that out and then second we need to have an apology to the entire state of Rhode Island to all all 15 of the residents there in the smallest state in the Union we made You're a, need big a second error. apology for that one too. <laughs> I'm sorry. Now a second apology for apologizing for how few people you have, but we needed to make a big apology, David. We made a mistake.
1: I said there were no professional sports teams left in the state of Rhode Island after the Pawtucket Paw Sox left Rhode Island. The Boston Bruins still have an affiliate in Providence, the Providence Bruins. So apologies. We also, I think, Matt, you talked about calamari for a second, but we didn't talk about the fact that people in Rhode Island call milkshakes cabinets Hmm. and that they drink coffee milk, which is like Hmm. a flavored syrup. It's delicious. So apologies. Hmm. Cabinets and coffee milk. Delicious.
0: The cabinets we'll have to to cover in our other podcast of frozen ice cream confections weekly. Uh, Yeah.
1: Regional variations on a frozen theme.
0: We had gone through blizzards and concretes previously, but I think cabinets will come up. So so look out for that. And sorry, Rhode Island. But now to the main event, which is back to our card 768 and Dickie Knowles. This was a suggestion by listener Anderson on Twitter. So thank you for that.
1: Yes, at CDAnders313. And I th- thank you, Anderson. I think this is his second suggestion. I believe he suggested Matt Noakes prior and... Knowles, Noakes, sensing a theme here, but thank you. <laughs> Dickie Knowles had in, an interesting trade in 1987. He has a weird card, maybe the weirdest card we've looked at yet. He's best <laughs> known for one pitch in a World Series that changed a World Series, and also a fateful night in Cincinnati that changed his life.
0: This is the most dramatic opening, I think, to our show. <laughs> Well, I am on the edge of my seat. I cannot wait. So let's go. Let's look at the card first, and then we've got a lot of stories to dig into. So pulling up the front of 768, we're going to see a few things, David, on this card right away. What I notice is the sunshine, the sun shining on the side of Dicky Knowles' face as he looks askance, looks up and to the left with his mouth agape, and then. <laughs> You see the Cubs title, the Chicago Cubs hat, Dickie Knowles' face, and to the right of his face, it says in all caps, NOW WITH TIGERS. And my question to you, David, is, is this supposed to be the caption of what Dickie Knowles is saying at that moment when the camera shutter was taken? Is in Dicky Knowles' own voice saying, NOW WITH TIGERS.
1: Or is he seeing that for the first time and going, wait, what? Where am I going?
0: <laughs> or is I'm that sitting actually... in Chicago. <laughs> or is that printed on the side of the wall right there in the back? And you just the camera had happened to zoom into it. What the heck is going on? Let's flip to the back of it real quick for an answer to why it says
1: that. And also maybe an answer to some of our lingering questions about when these pictures are taken what the tops company is doing and when these cards come out that we sometimes run into on these episodes
0: good idea we'll flip to the back here and before so before we do any of the other information at the top let's just go to the very bottom of the card where it says that dickie Knowles was traded by cubs to tigers for player to be named later september 21st 1987 as this card was going to press so the that huh
1: look that Dickie is giving, I am also giving after this note. They run these cards off before the end of the season, for the next season. Normally, there's so many trades, there's free agency, there's so much happening in the winter months, and even leading into spring training, they have the cards set for the year. They had... They set the entire team of cards for the following year before the season is done. So this this little note is interesting both because it says now he's on the Tigers, but there's another note that we'll get to a little bit later about that trade that adds a further wrinkle to the inaccuracy of this note and this card.
0: In my... In- in a yet another podcast that I do, which is Lean Manufacturing Quarterly, I what this says to me is that the supply chain and the value stream of the baseball card system in 1987 and 1988 obviously had huge lead times. If you're thinking about the design of the card needed to go to press by September in order to get all of these cards printed, shipped, distributed And then put into retail and onto shelves for 7-year-olds, 8-year-olds, 9, 10, 11-year-old kids like us to get the packs in time.
1: And some of the other cards have the painted cap and the airbrushed cap. They didn't even have time to do that for Dickie here. I'm interested in the design element that they had this clearly entire card designed with the Cubs written across the top. But they did have enough time to print on that little Now with Tigers. It just seems like a real slapdash
0: job. Yeah. Could have found a different picture of Dickie Knowles with a uniform or something else you could paint a different cap on. Could have found some other way to do it. Yes. Very strange. Very strange. So Now with Tigers or with Cubs, but he was
1: not on the Cubs or the Tigers in 1988. Uh, We'll get to that a little bit later.
0: <laughs> great, great. But as for the rest of the back of the card, so 62190, uh right-handed thrower and switch-hitting batter, it says drafted by the Phillies in June of 1975, acquired as a free agent by the Cubs in April of 1987, born and home in Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: Yeah, a few notes here. The switch-hitter thing I thought was interesting that this is a Pitcher who is listed as a switch hitter. I looked on baseball reference and found no indication of him ever batting uh, left handed in the majors. So he only hit right handed. So that may be an error. Controversy.
0: <laughs>
1: I always do like to look up the relative popularity of names. Dickie. Mm. Do you know anybody named Dickie? I, I just kept thinking of Dickie Betts, and that's why I was listening to the Allman Brothers all week.
0: Ah, yes. I mean, Dickie Barrett from uh, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, although the um, the spelling is different.
1: I, mean, yeah. I could only find three Dickies with an IE as their listed name on baseball reference. Two of them played at this time, Dickie Thon and Dickie Knowles, and also Dickie Flowers, who played in very early baseball back in the 1800s. However, Dickie Knowles is the only one of those three where Dicky is the given name. His birth name was Dickie Ray Knowles.
0: It was not short for Richard. Well, between with with two Garths, three Jodies and three Dickies, we're really in the long tail of baseball names. So, I think we've we've done very well in giving disproportionate attention to people with uh, unique names, which I think is a helpful thing to do when it comes to name equity.
1: As you said, he's from North Carolina and was drafted straight out of high school. He went to the same high school as uh, Ray Durham, later baseball White Sox legend Ray Durham, as well as R-Truth, the wrestler in WWE. I'm just saying that for Brian. (laughs) R-Truth was also in the Darren Aronofsky movie, The Wrestler. And Matt, Dickie had a very difficult upbringing. And we don't shy away from difficult topics here. And Right. I don't think Dicky does either. We'll see that his post playing career he spent a lot of time talking about both his upbringing and overcoming some of um uh, his the tribulations that have that came about from his upbringing. so maybe when we talk about some of these things, it's based on things that Dicky has said about his own life. He grew up poor and in a very difficult situation. He was born as a result of a rape. His mother was thirteen years old and pregnant with Dicky. She was told that if she kept the child, she would be kicked out of her house, and she kept Dicky and moved out. And his life didn't get easier after that. He grew up in a, an alcoholic and dysfunctional situation, and he said that he first drank when he was in fourth grade because he would have to serve alcohol to his father and grandfather's card game. By this point, his mother had left the family and had left Dicky, and he became a regular drinker by seventh grade. He said that he did that partially to numb the pain of an unhappy childhood and he became addicted. And he also uh, dabbled in drugs. He joined a gang called the Little Angels. They would break into homes, the homes of drug dealers and steal drugs. And this resulted in at least one situation where Dickie and his friends were chased by drug dealers and he ended up having to fend for himself with a knife and slashed a drug dealer with a knife by high school so he's already abusing drugs and alcohol. He said he had no life skills, but clearly he had some baseball skills. And with a strong arm, good fastball, a little bit of a lack of control both on the mound and off the field, but good enough to get drafted in
0: the 4th round as you said by the Phillies in 1975. It's just incredible to for him to have made it out first of all with that kind of childhood to be able to keep it together at all to make it to getting drafted seems to me to be quite an accomplishment.
1: We've seen this before with some of the other cards that maybe some of these guys just had that one place to go. And if they didn't have that place to go, who knows what would have happened to them. But for Dickey, that was the baseball diamond. And he clearly had some skills that allowed him to to get out of that situation.
0: So his first stop in the minors was Auburn for the Phillies at age 18 in his first kind of his first scuffle one of many to come yes one of many to come so this is getting in a fight with a bartender who had put a cherry in his teammate's soda dickie was defending his teammate and said he asked for it with no cherry
1: take the cherry out and the bartender then used his fingers to take the cherry out uh that's gross i think that's disgusting But the bartender could have just given him a new soda
0: without putting his fingers in it. Yeah, it may not have necessitated violence, but I I can understand uh, to a point. Then 1976, he is in Spartanburg and got arrested for pulling a fire alarm at a bar. So more bar antics. Later in his career, he said he got arrested
1: in every minor league town that he was in. (laughs) <laughs> that season, he also went 4-16 and 16 with a 5.91 ERA in Spartanburg. So he's kind of floundering on the mound as well. But he gradually got better on the field. He didn't necessarily get better off the field. By 1979, he played at three levels of baseball, AA, A, and then finally got a call up to the
0: majors. So he's 22 years old. It's 1979. He gets his debut July 5th. His first start is a loss, but then he becomes a regular starter for the Phillies and gets 14 starts in 1979.
1: Yeah, decent rookie season, 3-4 and four with a 3.8 ERA. Not too bad. But then some more problems. After that 1979 season, he went to Venezuela and played in the Winter League. We've talked about that with Jay Baller and others. He also was introduced to cocaine and got in a bar fight. And then went to his apartment and started throwing his furniture off the balcony. And he was so out of control that he was thrown out of Venezuela. (laughs) Too dangerous for Venezuela. Oh my goodness. He's back with the Phillies in 1980. And it didn't seem to affect him that much. His his stats are okay. He's mostly pitching in relief for the Phillies. I should preface this by saying... The Phillies never won a World Series before 1980. They were the last original National League team to win a World Series. And this is a really weird team. I think we talked about this World Series because Ozzie Virgil was uh, denied his ring. But this team had the MVP and Mike Schmidt. They had Steve Carlton, Cy Young Award winner. Tug McGraw, who was a relief pitcher, was their third best player based on wins, wins above replacement. They had like Pete Rose was 39 and playing first base but not really you, know, you expect some power from your first baseman Pete Rose hit one home run it's just a very <laughs> interesting team one of their starters went 4 and 14 and somehow this team was the one that that broke that 96-year-old year streak it's it's pretty amazing and Dicky Knowles was maybe responsible for the most important moment of that 1980 world series.
0: This moment is one that it is amazing to watch. And we will have a link to the YouTube to, to two different clips, which we highly encourage listeners to click through and watch. So to set the stage uh, for this 1980 world series, the Phillies are playing the Kansas city Royals and the Phillies won the first two games at home and then lost in extra innings in game three on the road in Kansas City. So we pick it up in game four. So the two videos, first of all, is the gameplay of this critical event. But then the second is Dickie Knowles, years later, describing the events that, that occurred. And so we just encourage you to watch that.
1: And this is game four, Dickie with a perm. You know, on this on this card, you don't see Dicky's hair, but... In the early 80s, his hair was very, very floofy. And he's got that light blue Phillies uniform. One nice element of anytime time we do somebody with any connection to the Phillies is that Fanatics starts trying to sell me Phillies stuff, and I have not yet <laughs> bought it. But you know, they, they want me to buy a Darren Dalton jersey, and I'm not going to do it. But Dickie has a kind of wild look in his eye. He's got that light blue uniform, the maroon cap, chaw in his cheek. He came into this game, game four, after Larry Christensen gave up four runs and only got one out. He gave up a triple to George Brett. He gave up a homer to Willie Mays Aikens. At this point, that was Willie Mays Aikens' third home run of the series. And Dickey comes in with one out, down 4 nothing, And he said, this is my chance to play in a World Series. And he got out of that first inning. In the second inning, the Phillies got a run, so now it's 4-1. Then in the bottom of the second, Dickey gives up another home run to Willie Aikens. And that was actually a record at the time. Willie Aikens was the first player to hit two home runs in two different World Series games. In the video of Dickey describing the moment, they also show this Willie Mays Aikens home run. And he just destroyed the ball. Dickey said that he liked watching home runs. Some pitchers don't. He said, you know, I like to see it. I know I can't do that. So let's see how far that thing can fly. He watches the home run, turns around, and Willie Aikens is still at home plate. Also watching the home run. Of course, Dickey brings up some of the unwritten rules.
0: <laughs> about proper about <laughs> proper celebration.
1: Yes. He said you didn't do that unless you were Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson's allowed to do that. Willie Mays Aikens is, apparently is not. When he got back to the dugout, his teammates are telling him, you have to hit this guy. You got to hit somebody. You got to get him off the plate, send a message. And he went back to the mound and he was going to do that. And he said the next time Willie came up, he was going to
0: hit him. And so we, we go to the fourth inning. And before Willie Mays Akins even comes up to the plate, Dickie finds his target. George Brett comes up and and by the way in this video George Brett's hair is magnificent. He is just the golden boy. It is incredible. That yeah. season George Brett hit
1: 390. Up to this point he was hitting really well as I said he hit a triple earlier in this game. Dickey got mad at him because he was taking too long to get back in the box. Dickey wanted to get George out so that he could hit Willie Akin's. <laughs>
0: So Willie Aikens in the on deck circle looks on as this happens.
1: Two strikes on Fred. Down he goes. There's a message right there. Here comes
0: Jim Fry out. There's a message. Jim Fry is out right now. He is really upset. He is really upset. Two strikes, no balls, and he really low bridged him.
1: Dickey throws. To go High and very inside, nearly hits George Brett in the face. Brett flipping backwards his helmet flies off. 39-year-old Pete Rose, it's very easy to forget he was still playing. This wasn't one of his better seasons, but he was still playing first base. And he was the one who really settled everybody down, basically yelled back at the Royals and said, you know, if you want to hit somebody, do it in the next inning. Hit one of our guys. He also yelled at Jim Fry. If Dickey wanted to hit him, he would have hit him. It is absurd to me that Dickey did not get tossed out of the game.
0: Well, he didn't actually hit him. And and then in the next pitch, he strikes Brett out and then strikes out Willie Mays Aikens right afterwards. So he ends up pitching four and two-thirds innings, only gives up one run while the Phillies lost that game 5-3. All of the discussion after this series is that that moment And how Pete Rose reacted and how the rest of the team reacted to, you know, what Dickie Knowles did at that point changed the mindset of the entire team. They won the next two to win the World Series four games to two, and it was the first ever World Series in their history.
1: I think that there was some belief among Phillies fans that the momentum had shifted. They'd only seen their team play in two World Series in their history before this, and they thought, this is it we're going to blow it you know that same kind of Cubs mindset uh Cub fan mindset Dickey turned the momentum around with that with that pitch it also maybe put a little bit of fear in George Brett he had hit 390 in the regular season after that pitch he hit 230 for the rest of the series it was Dickey's only appearance in the 1980 World Series but uh, other teammates and opponents have stressed the importance of that pitch. Mike Schmidt called it the greatest brushback in world series history and Royals player, Amos Otis at a golf event yelled at Dickey, you stole my world series ring. <laughs> Dickey said he didn't really think too much of it, but he, he said that maybe Jim Fry's reaction and Pete Rose's reaction caused the shift in
0: momentum. When you combine the precise placement of the pitch and the way that George Brett looks as he f- flails onto the ground, it is one of the greatest brushbacks I've seen. So, very exciting moment. To take Dickie at his
1: word, he said he decided in the windup to throw it at him. Wow! <laughs> and to not hit him is pretty amazing. That's frightening.
0: He also he also said that he took a little off the pitch so that it was only you know ninety instead of ninety five or ninety six. Now we'll we'll take him at his word on that one. I don't I don't know that for sure. Going in 1981 at post World Series win, uh, Dickey is supposed to be in the starting rotation in 1981, but <laughs> we yeah. Not we only have... in
1: minor league cities, but also in spring training cities, Dickey gets into fights, and he was playing pool at a bar and got in a fight and got arrested. <laughs> And he showed up at the clubhouse the next day with a fat lip and a black eye, and he said that he overslept, except the news report of his arrest had already been sent around. He was supposed to be on the team on opening day to get his ring, and instead he was in Oklahoma City in AAA, and they sent him down to get his life together.
0: Maybe for a little while, although he did punch a restaurant owner in the face and got arrested in Oklahoma City. So keeping the streak alive, David. And also keeping the streak alive of second chances, he got called back up in August.
1: I... <laughs> and he got in a fight with the GM over that demotion. He was at a bar with the GM, and he said, why'd you send me down? And they ended up having words. The police got called, but Dickie didn't get arrested. The GM got arrested. He kind of took one for Dicky and said, Get back to your hotel room. And while Dickey didn't go to jail in this case, he did get to go to Chicago. He was traded.
0: So he gets traded for ni- in 1982. Traded to the Cubs with Keith Moreland for Mike Kruko.
1: Yeah, Moreland ended up having some pretty good seasons for the Cubs, including a very good 1987 season, which we'll get to when we get to the Keith Moreland card. <laughs> and, yeah, but- Dickey became a— Regular starter for the Cubs For the first time in his career Starting more than 20 games He was fine He was you know, <laughs> 10 and 13 With a 4.42 ERA
0: He's fine Yeah, 1983 He gets the ultimate one more chance This happens in Cincinnati With a, a road trip in early April And shock of all shocks It it happens in a bar If we've learned anything
1: about Dickie, he will find a bar, and he will drink, and he will fight. And he got in a fight with some bouncers when he refused to leave a bar. The cops got called, and Dickie choked a police officer.
0: Uh, Bad move. (laughs) It's
1: a questionable decision. He was arrested again, charged with assault, resisting arrest, and disorderly conduct while intoxicated. He says that that was the last time he had a drink. Between the arrest and the court date in July, the Cubs sent him to rehab at a hospital. And he accepted that rehab assignment because he said it would be good for his knees. He had sore knees and he thought this will give him a chance to get some rest. He also said during the rehab process that he had been sued three times. He had been kicked out of a country and he sat in rehab as if he didn't have any issues. But in that process, he realized that ninety-five percent of the time that he got into fights, alcohol was involved. I'm interested, as a person who doesn't get into a lot of fights, what those other five percent were about.
0: But... <laughs> yeah, I think that's. I think it's rhetorical. I think it's probably a hundred percent of the. It's probably a hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> but that cleared
1: his mind and made him want to get sober, and he has been sober for thirty-seven years now. Wow, Matt! As you said, the ultimate second chance he got. Pled no contest to the charges, and he got 16 days in jail and a $1,000 wow. fine. Wow. A suspended 150-day s- sentence for assaulting a police officer. I wow. He is so lucky, and he is that so is lucky. a definition of privilege that I think a lot of people—
0: Holy good Lord.
1: Yeah, we, I think, really do need to— figure out how compassionate we are toward folks who have that many arrests. And as a baseball player, Dickie Knowles was given many, many opportunities. And this one, a thousand dollar fine for choking a police officer. Wow. To his credit, Dickie said, I'm ashamed and sorry at what I've done. I'm humiliated as I stand here and hear about it. I didn't realize I had a drinking problem. While Dickie turned his life around in finding sobriety, some of those bad decisions may have caught up to him in that he hurt his right knee in the fight. And that Mm. caused damage and scarring that was never fixed. He said that he lost eight to 10 miles per hour off of his fastball that one night.
0: Yeah. So this is going to have ramifications then for the rest of his, for the rest of his pitching career. So he ends up his ERA, is over five for the next three seasons. In 1984, he ends up traded to the Rangers in July, so he wasn't involved in that Cubs playoff run. He's with the Rangers in 84 and 85. And then 1986, he's with Cleveland. He pitches a season in relief. Going into 1987, David, he re-signs with the Cubs, uh, signs as a free agent in 1987. And with all of the stories we've heard so far about Dickey, This ends up being one of the strangest years of his career and I, that I still, I really can't even explain. (laughs) I think that
1: it's going to lead us to, maybe we're going to need a whiteboard to walk through the, (laughs) the trials and tribulations of Dickie Knowles in 1987.
0: I feel like the meme with the guy with the string connecting pictures on the, on the, yes, on the cork board trying to solve the mystery the easy part of it is he had a pretty good year with the Cubs. He threw in
1: 41 games, went 4-2 and two as a reliever with a 3.5 ERA. He had his best wins above replacement season of his career, and it was the lowest ERA of his career. But the Cubs were out of contention, so they traded Dickey to Detroit in late September, as we learned from this weird fun fact on the card, for a player to be named later. He had the good fortune to go from last place to first place, but he only pitched in four games for the Tigers. Sparky Anderson told Dicky at one point that he was his favorite two-week player. <laughs> Sparky also called him Richard the whole time that he was there, even though his given <laughs> name is Dickey. Uh, but Dicky liked Sparky. He liked Detroit. He was hoping to stay for those reasons and probably to play for a winner. Normally, I think we talked about this in previous episodes, what happens with a player to be named later the team receiving a player makes a list of available players, often minor leaguers, normally not your best prospects. In this case, the teams could not agree on who the Cubs would receive in return for Dickey. So they just sent Dickey back.
0: <laughs> so the player to be named later was himself.
1: Correct. Baseball Reference has this listed as the Tigers loaned Dickie Knowles.
0: Ah, okay, so this is, this I'm more familiar with, because this sounds a lot more like what might happen in international soccer.
1: In current news, the U.S. men's national team, Weston McKinney, is currently on loan from Schalke to Juventus. One team is picking up the contract and maybe paying a fee for that player's services. In this case, the way that it's described is more like Dicky was traded for himself. <laughs> And he was one of only four players in history to be traded for himself. It's kind of an <laughs> inauspicious list here, and I don't think I've ever heard of any of these other guys. Harry Cheaty, Brad Golden, and John McDonald. It's an interesting concept that I we don't normally hear about in baseball and is very common in European soccer to have a lone player. Going into the 2021 season, a lot of minor league teams have been shut down or switched to other leagues, and maybe this will become a more common occurrence in in, in baseball. And I ho- kind of hope so because it gives teams the opportunity to maybe send their prospects somewhere, get some playing time in an independent minor league system.
0: Yeah, while giving them giving the players an opportunity to play, every day and to start for different teams, but to keep hold on to their rights so that if they improve during those assignments, the team that owns the contract gets to benefit from that, whether that's from a higher value if they sell or trade them on later, or if they you know promote them up the ladder within their own organization. So it, it is a system that makes a lot of sense. But let's see, how does this play out now, though, David, when we get to Our card today, which is the 1988 Topps card about the 1987 season, he was with the Cubs. He's wearing a Cubs uniform. And then the card text has been edited to say, now with Tigers. But then you said that in 1988, he wasn't with the Cubs or the Tigers. So what happened?
1: When they released the set, it was probably true that he was on the Cubs or was closest to being on the Cubs except the Cubs then released him in November of 1987. Mm. So by spring training 1988, he was in the Orioles minor league system.
0: Well, maybe the confusion came maybe Sparky Anderson had told the Topps company that it was Richard uh Knowles. <laughs> yes. Who was So they thought sent Richard Knowles
1: yeah, Richard Knowles was still on the Tigers. Dickie Knowles got traded back to the Cubs. I, Leslie Nope. I don't know. Who knows where Leslie Les- Nope's <laughs> on uh, he first. Ends up, nope. He, Nope's on third. He does end up getting called up in nineteen eighty eight in June. He pitched three innings and gave up nine runs for a 0 mm. 2 record with a twenty four point three ERA.
0: Yeah, that's Uh, Not going to do very well. 89, he's in the Yankees minor leagues. He goes back to the Phillies in 1990, called up for one game, gave up two hits and a run in less than one inning, plays in Mexico in 1991, and then retires. So overall, a major league record of 36-53 and with a 4.56 ERA in 277 games. But a a whole heck of a lot of years from spanning from 1979 through 1990, he's either playing in the majors or the minors. So that's a long career. And his story with the major leagues doesn't really end there, right? In
1: 1992, he rejoined the Phillies as an employee assistance professional. And he served in that role for the last 28 years what his job entails is traveling to minor league cities to talk to players about alcohol and drug abuse and he also provides counseling for players battling abuse as well as marital financial and legal advice there's a baseball hall of fame article that is about this card and dicky Knowles. and it closes with a poignant moment at one point dicky visited the baseball hall of fame with his kids And he asked them if he could see his own file, his own player file at the hall. And he wanted one of his sons to see the clips about him. And he didn't want him to just see the World Series ring, the World Series clips, the high points of his career. He wanted him to see the stories about his arrests and his legal troubles. Dickey's dedicated his life to his own recovery and making sure that other young players don't have those same troubles. And the people at the hall were actually touched that Dickey wanted to show his career warts and all. And I think that that says a lot about Dickey. And you could see it in that 1980 video where he's talking about that moment. Dickey is a hell of a storyteller and mm-hmm. will tell his own story and and doesn't tell it in a braggadocious way necessarily, but tells it in an honest way that says, I was a mess. And one quote that I found from Dickey is that he said, I ruined a pretty good career, but I gained a life. His drinking and his drug abuse messed up his career with the fighting that led to actually injuries and taking some years off of his career. But he was able to find some, some peace in his second career helping people.
0: David, as we close the book here on Dickie Knowles, I think after hearing this story today, I just wish more people got as many second chances as Dickie did. There are a lot of people that if they had done the same behavior as him, wouldn't have gotten that second chance or third or fourth or fifth or sixth chance. I wish that more people did, maybe without as much violence <laughs> along the way.
1: There are so many people who, would read a story about someone getting drunk and assaulting a police officer and have no problem with that person being locked up for many years, especially mm-hmm. with the rap sheet that Dickie had. And he was given that opportunity. And Dicky even says he would do everything different, but you can't do that. You have to pick up the pieces and you move on. And it is it is remarkable how Dicky has been able to do that.
0: Thank you, David. This is a heck of a story. And thank you, Anderson, for that recommendation. Uh, we love suggestions. And also, if you've ever sent back a Shirley Temple, we would love to hear from you. Join us on our Facebook page. Just go to facebook.com and search for the 1988 Tops Podcast. Look on Twitter at Tops1988. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.